welcome to Modern Day Philosophers. Modern Day Philosophers. Having failed to pay attention in school, Danny Lobel, now older and wiser, will attempt to learn basic philosophy 101. Our young hero will be joined by today's top comedians, philosophers all their own. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Danny Lobel. Modern Day Philosophers. Right, it's the season six wrap-up show. We finally have the technology now to record these over the phone. So I am in LA. Alex Fasella is in New York City. How you doing, man? Good. We could rebuild the podcast. We have the technology. We could finally do it over the phone without having to go through another man's recording studio. I'm uh, doing pretty good. How are you? Pretty good. It's been quite a season, huh? It has. Oh my god, I was going back through some today, and that Brian Regan one was just amazing. Yeah, that was pretty cool that that got to happen. Yeah, and he seemed to really like you. I was really happy that, uh, like, he tweeted, he's like, hey, this is a really funny Danny LaBelle podcast, and I I know how much you thought that would be cool. Yeah, I was really honored that he tweeted that. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe keep in touch. That'd be nice. Yeah, I gotta send him a thank you. Yeah. So, <laughs> this is riveting, your, uh... riveting for people to hear. <laughs> yeah, he is. be like, really nice that he was nice. We should send him a little box of fruit or something. Yeah, this is really like <laughs> listening to, to old ladies at church talk or something. Yeah, our, 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 our podcast started out as philosophy, and then it ended up more as like a sewing circle. It got weird towards music. <laughs> it's very nice. You should send the fruit basket. The Regan boy is so friendly. You could just you could talk to him like he's your son. It's all it's all very sweet. <laughs> <laughs> what was your favorite episode? Uh, I really like. I think the Liz Mealy one was my favorite one this season. I like how much she likes to talk about her cat <laughs> pasta. <laughs> I think she's just very self aware, very sharp. I mean, I, I mean, it's hard to say because in terms of who was I most excited to talk to was definitely. Oh, it's it's a tough one because Brian Ring and I I was so excited to talk to him. I'd never met him before. Yeah. I've always been a huge fan. Mm-hmm. But then talking to Jackie Mason, the first one was like we were catching up on old times. It was like being with an old friend again. It's exactly what it was was being with an old friend again, and uh, yeah, and that was really special for me to have him on the show. So, so I guess I have three real favorites from this season. The first favorite being. Liz Mealy, just because of the, the conversation, I thought there was so much in there that talking to her clarified for me, and and yeah, I th- I think we like really kind of opened each other's minds a little bit in that episode. Mm-hmm. Or, or at least I could say that my mind was opened a little bit at the end of that episode. And then in terms of just sheer excitement to talk to somebody, um, Brian Regan, and then yeah, and then and then. You know, in terms of nostalgia and 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 somebody who I really love and good friendship with a lot of memories to catch up on, Jackie Mason. So those would yeah, be my, my liked, three picks. I liked uh, all the uh, a theme I noticed kind of developing over the season was um, how much comics have a responsibility to be funny versus how much they have a responsibility to make a point. And it was interesting to see people's takes on it, because like Jackie said, if you can make a point, cool, but I'm more concerned with 
are there any holes in my hour of funny? Which I think is the, the, the uh, that, that's how, how I would look at it. And then you get a guy um, like J.T. Haberset. He's like, I really want to say something, too. And they're both very valid viewpoints. I might side with uh, with Jackie on that because I think funny has to come first, and then hopefully your funny tells your point. But, you know, there's different plenty of ways to go about that. So that was uh, kind of an interesting uh, leitmotif that showed up throughout. And then the Liz one I really liked. She made usually like once per episode or once every few episodes, there would be, like you're saying, your mind being opened clarity-wise. Uh, Liz Mealy said something that I thought I, I've, I has stuck with me. She's like, um, only my friends and family find me funny right now, but audiences will find me six months from now funny when I figured out how to make Liz right now who's upset into Liz who's telling you about how she was upset before and has now written all these good jokes about it. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting way to look at it, that you, whatever bad you're feeling right now will be filtered through this process, and then you'll be looking back on it six months from now, and everyone will feel like you're in that first place. But, you know, it's the tragedy plus time kind of old adage of comedy. And I wonder if, um, if like, the goal of comedy or a goal of comedy would be how do you make the audience find Liz today also funny? Like, I don't know if that's, they have to know you fame-wise, or if it's just getting really, really good at closing that gap. You're talking but about, like, kind of like living in the moment on stage. Exactly, yeah. And I don't know if maybe that's just a an improvisation thing where you say it and it has that magic the first time, or if you just get so zen good at crafting your, your jokes that, like, you know right away, okay, this is what I'm feeling here are several different ways I can attack this, and this, the gap will get shorter and shorter, but maybe that's six months is just normal for everybody. I don't know. But Every now really, and then you have it, a thing where the stars align in comedy. Like, I did this show the other night at this bar. I remember where it was, like Burbank or somewhere. Somewhere mm-hmm. near Burbank. And uh, I just went in, and I just talked off the top of my head about what's going on in my life. I didn't do any material because it, was it wasn't a you know, a very well populated room. It was just like, yeah. you know, like 15 people, but all seated in different parts of the room. So it really felt much emptier than it was. And, oh uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I was just like, you know what? I'm not doing material. And I just started talking about the now and, and what's going on with me. And it, it went so well, you know, I don't want to say I killed, but I, I guess I did. Mm-hmm. It went really well, and um, but that's not gonna. I can't recreate that. Like if I took everything I said and then turned it into a set, and next time I went on stage, I did that. It's not gonna work again. It was just because it was so in the moment and it was so yeah organic, you know. So that drives me crazy. You know how many times I've written like a solid like. Uh, you know, a, a day or two before I do a set, I, I write all this stuff that just happened to me, and it all kills, and I'm like, great, I have a nice chunk about that thing that just happened to me, and then the next day, none of it works again, and I was like, uh, I knew, and it's got to the point where this happened so many times, I can kind of feel when material is has a good chance of evaporating really soon, and so I hope that it doesn't, but I'm like, okay, I felt this feeling before, there's a good chance one of these might still work, and hopefully more, but, you know. It's the feeling and emotion behind what you're saying in that moment. 
exactly. Can, yeah, you can make it work. But what Liz is talking about is is something like I think pretty much all comics, not improvisers, but all stand-up comics, have is that you you have this material and you develop it over a long time, and you know you you kind of let it uh, you kind of let it simmer. You know you you and then you, mm-hmm. you I don't know I'm putting it in cooking terms like a fat guy, but the basic. <laughs> the basic point so you is gotta, you gotta baste your jokes in a teriyaki marinade right yeah you marinate so them and then you know over all t- ready for HBO <laughs> but you know you're developing this material over time and you're and you're just getting a rhythm to it just you know changing the way you say it slightly every time yeah hitting certain notes and then eventually six months down the line something that happened to you you know, six months ago is now hilarious to an yeah. audience. Yeah, and that's what I'm, I'm wondering if I wonder if the longer you do stand up, or the more critically you think about your jokes or whatever, I wonder if you almost learn like the language of how to make your thoughts funny quicker. So maybe six months gets like quicker. Yeah, I, w- I wonder if close that's the even gap. Maybe it's possible. three months or two yeah. months or a month. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that maybe somebody who really knows, like, okay, these are the things I do well on stage, and this is what I'm feeling. And they kind of know how to plug that in, like almost like you've learned the language of, of your, you know, of your jokes more or less. So I wonder if six months will shrink, or if it's just like, hey, it takes six months for you to just process things. That could just be a human thing. It might it um, might be based on the individual. You know, maybe yeah. for some people it, there's a slower learn you know learning process in general, and then and then maybe yeah. some, some people develop much quicker and they're able to turn things around quicker. I don't know if there if yeah. that's, that might be on a case to case basis that answer I don't know I, I don't, I'm sure I couldn't say for scary. sure that that like Stephen Wright develops jokes faster now than he did ten years ago I I don't know that that's true Yeah, there's no way to test that unless we hook everybody up to some kind of power grid that we do <laughs> like it's been three months we got a ding on Stephen Wright we, he has finished the breeze joke he did it Yeah. Um, you were saying, you know, uh, you, know you, give it, you give it time, and sometimes it, it'll take that long to click. That was the thing that came up on the Brian Regan episode, where he's like, oh, I always end up making myself feel dumb because I'll hammer this thing for, like, six months or a year, and then I'll, like, take out the word the, and it will work perfectly. I'm like, why didn't I get that? And then that's part of the fun for him, mm-hmm. was going, I'm an idiot. I should have seen that a while ago. But I'm getting better at it because I just fixed my problem, you know? Right, Which right. Is, to look at it that way of um, like it's a constant. I think you were because you, you were talking about him. Uh, you're like, hey, I heard you like golf because you're not great at golf. Right. And he's like, yeah, that's why it's fun because otherwise, if I walk on, if I walk into a room and I'm good at something, I didn't learn anything or I didn't have to try or or whatever. So yeah. I guess comedy is the same way for him. He uh, he said another thing that clarified something that was pretty good advice. I thought where he goes, if I'm bombing. I just take a deep breath and then picture that everyone in the audience is me, and then I just try to make me laugh. I'm like, that's a pretty good uh, tactic. That's a good little trick you dropped there. Yeah, I was glad. I was really I glad I, I heard that. It's funny. I think I I remember him saying that he just pictures himself in the audience. I don't yeah. know which way is correct. I think you you put it that everybody in the audience is him. That's kind of funny. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's an entire audience of him. Because <laughs> then the, just the, the audience of Brian Regan is also doing their Brian Regan bit. He's like, so the thing with the gun law, and there's a guy in the audience going, I gotta get a toaster. <laughs> so, vertically. 
You brought up JT JT Haverset, um, who was somebody I became friends with over this past season since I did the interview. And uh, yeah, he th- uh, he was another interview guy, and he was like, I talked to Henry Rollins for two hours, and I was like, Oh, go on. Yeah, he he's great, yep. man. I, I'm what a great discovery from Stand Up Records introduced us. Yeah, and. Um, I thought his interview was 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 interesting. Talking to him, we had so much in common. It's rare to find somebody yeah. like that, a kindred spirit. I liked, to, yeah, especially because you'd never met before, uh, at least in person. I think I don't remember what your exact history was, but no, we we'd never. I wasn't familiar with his work, and I didn't know him at all. And that's the rare thing about like everybody else on this podcast. Pretty much, I either know them or I know their work or both. And and he mm-hmm. kind of came in cold, and I was like, I didn't know what to expect from that guy, and it turned out to be great. Yeah, and um, I was I, I've been holding on to we we gave him William of Occam. I've been holding on to that one I think since the first episode because Occam's razor is such a common thing in philosophy. I I had it not in its present form that ended up with him, but I was like, oh, we gotta do William of Occam because that's a there's so many connections you could draw to so many different kinds of philosophy. So. Right. I think the uh, was he was like a skeptic or he was very logical or something that made sense. It seemed to like it, so I was happy. So I, I'll tell um, you some more ones that I thought were kind of interesting um, in yeah. terms of uh, what the comic thought of the philosopher. Professor mm-hmm. Erwin Corey, I, n- I did not expect uh, when I was going to talk about Gandhi to, that we'd be talking to someone anti-Gandhi. <laughs> he was the first guy I ever heard of who was angry at Gandhi. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he's like because he has he has this very sweet you know kind of silly conversation going with him, yeah. and then you're like the philosopher says Mahatma Gandhi. He's like he said that we should have just bent over for the Germans. Every German should be strung up by their balls. Or he's like he stupid says, man, like, Gandhi. Stupid <laughs> man. I thought that oh was interesting. God. I never heard anti Gandhi before. I mean, I got where he was coming from with it too. He made a good yeah, point if, to me if, in terms of. Anti Gandhi thought. Uh, my friend, uh, I, I was just on Facebook, and my friend is like, "Hey, uh, you know, I, I read the Onion more than you do, but uh, you should read it today because they love your podcast." I'm like, "I guess I should be oriented with it." Wow, it's pretty exciting. The Better? AV Club wrote us up, and Split Sider wrote us up, which was really cool. Uh, we got, we made it to the Huffington Post. We're doing it, man. We're doing it. Or so. everyone else hasn't noticed that we're still faking it. Something's happening. Yeah. Jason Zumalt, that was one of the funnier episodes I've, I think we've done. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just keep thinking about blessed as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was just just, just goofy and um, funny. You know what I've been thinking of? You know what I was thinking of? Uh, Jackie Mason saying he was a lifeguard. <laughs> yeah, you texted me. I'm that. gonna, I'm gonna go <laughs> into the ocean, and I'm gonna make sure that you don't die because then you'll turn blue, and you'll, you'll be gone. I got a text from you saying, "I keep laughing thinking about Jackie Mason as a lifeguard." Yes. Oh my God, that's a that's a mad TV sketch that never got to be. Yeah, that is funny. I never something I never knew about him either until until that interview. Yeah. Um. No one else. The Dave Anthony one I liked a lot uh, too, although 
I, 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 you guys didn't fully grasp the philosophy, but it's okay because I never really fully understood Leibniz either. Yeah, I tried best I could to uh, to, to get it all together for you guys, but even I'm kind of like, wait, what's the monad again? And I, just, I guess it's, I thought it was interesting that we uncovered an ancient math feud. Yeah, you had the, you, there was it was like an East Coast West Coast. Uh, rappers, but Newton and uh, Leibniz over who made calculus. It was like some <laughs> Shook Knight shit. <laughs> the nerdiest rap battle in history, or hip hop exactly. battle. Exactly. Wow. Oh my god, how great would that have been if they're like throwing down proofs at right. each other with like a crap and I'm like, oh! <laughs> DX to the 83rd. Yeah! Dante Nero, another one that was really fun this past... He was a stripper. Yeah. Stripper. He's one of the most fun guys to talk to. Dante and I go back a long time. We always just have a good time talking. Yeah. He, he and I are both hosts. You know, he has a great podcast, too. And we're just... When you get on two guys who are really used to being in front of the microphone, you get them in, in a thing together. I guess that's... And also, we have that history, that friendship history... So when Dante and I yeah. just, you know, it's just, it's just fun, you know? Yeah. And also, um, if I'm not mistaken, he does the beige Philip show. Is that right? His yeah. Name? That's him. That used to be black Philip show, which was Patrice's show or, or at least it's connected. So that's like, you had always said, you know, all oh, we're so great. We had Patrice, not that Dante is Patrice or isn't his own person, but like that's, you know, it's almost like spiritually having Patrice on because you had a guy that was close to him. And you were a little close to him, too. But, you know, someone who literally carried the torch onto his own podcast, you can, you know, speak to it that way. And yeah, I see what you're saying. He has, they have a lot of this, a lot of uh, similar theories on things. Yeah. Um,. Another one I liked. I was really, I really liked the the Erin Corey one. I know we covered that already, but that was, I've never heard a hundred and two year old man speak, and fairly coherently too. I thought he'd be a little more all over the place, but it was a tough edit that one. I know I said it in the episode, but boy, oh boy, because of the his oh. grandson re yelling every question to him, and then he kept coughing up mucus, and and then just, just you know he would go on these sort of like lose track of what he was saying kind of things. And I didn't want to show people this is the condition of Irwin Corey. I wanted to show people these are the thoughts of Irwin Corey. And that's, that's yeah. a decision I made because sometimes I, and I left a little bit in to give people a taste, but I, it's kind of a decision as an editor when I'm putting these things together. Like, what do I really want to show people at the end of the day? I want to bring you to the experience that I had when I did the interview. But I also, more importantly, I want to show you that the, this is these are the thoughts and ideas of the comedian who I'm talking to and kind of paint a portrait of them. So yeah, it's like now here's something I I was wondering. Um, so I know you left a little bit of the, him going like Brah, what and yeah. then you know the offering. How many time? Uh, how many questions uh, that you a- asked started with him asked going what? Ninety seven percent of them. Wow, that is perfect <laughs> math. There were very few exceptions, just like I knew, yeah, yeah. I knew you did you you did some editing, and I was because you know the, the the you you edit pretty seamlessly, so I was going along with the illusion without even really thinking of it. But I was like, wait a minute, 
if he did it three times, he probably did it more. So I had to, I really, I'm glad that I have a little bit of a more accurate picture of right. what happened. Countless hours of editing on that one. So Countless. Yeah. 97% of coughs worth of hours of editing. It's like the, you know, being the interviewer and the producer, it's a lot of work, you know, just constantly yeah. editing. And I just, I'd like to get the show to the point where I don't have to edit anymore. And I got Logan Heftel. We got to give a shout out to Logan, who's been doing first passes at the editing, not on the Irwin Corey one, because I didn't want to, I knew if I gave him that one to edit, he might not want to do any of them ever again after that. So yeah, that's like that's like giving him a Rubik's cube when he should be learning basic algebra. <laughs> yeah, but we have had Logan Heftel a part of this team since day one, and mm-hmm. I think he I think he was in an after show wrap up once with you, or he was time. yeah because yeah yeah I can't remember what season it was but it was maybe two or three ago I want to say and I'd never heard I I knew that you had mentioned another guy masters these but I'd never actually heard him talk. And you're like, oh, he's a musician, and he has a recording stuff going on. I was like, well, that's neat. I didn't yeah. know there was another guy on the team that I'd never, you know, gotten any contact with. And he's been with it for since day team, one. Anyway. I gotta say, like, to yeah. his credit, he's since the very first episode, he's been on board, and he's yeah, incredible and, part uh, behind the scenes of the show. Owen Benjamin and Agrippa the Skeptic, by the way, was uh, was a fun one. I like Owen Benjamin a lot. I like. Hearing his stories about his brother, that was great. About his brother, how his yeah. brother sees everything positively, and and like he was, yeah. I want to be, I want to be like a blind man, brother. Like I, I thought that that episode was really entertaining, and uh, yeah. <laughs> then I don't have to see anything bad. Like he just his brother, his stories of his brother and his life. Uh, his brother's a lumberjack, and it's just his life upstate New York. And in the fair, and how he became a comedian, and all that stuff it was really, really cool. And I and I also really like Owen Benjamin on a personal level. Yeah, I think he's a, he's a great guy and a great comedian. So it was a it was a fun one. And Anyone whose life story involves a lumberjack, I'm listening. <laughs> why? <laughs> I don't even. <laughs> I don't know because you know why? Because I don't know any lumberjacks, and I'm curious about that lifestyle. That's why. I had to call you on that. When when Monty Python has a song about you that's really about being transgender, I I have to hear you out. Yeah. All right. And then Jesse Beth Conweiler, what did you think of that one? Um, that one was good. Um, sorry, refresh my memory. What did we talk about on that one again? I couldn't. I haven't listened to that one in a Nassim little while. Nassim Nicholas sorry. Taleb and Jesse Beth Conweiler. The thing that I always think about is is that story of her and Natalie Portman. She, how the rabbi tried to get her to join the, the same temple as Natalie Portman, and then she saw oh, yeah. Natalie in the <laughs> what was it like the swap meet in Pasadena or something? She's like, "Hi, Natalie," and like, she became her mom. I thought that was really funny. Yeah, it's like trying to sell her in a gym. Like you know, Natalie Portman worships here. Maybe you're in the show business as well. Yeah, maybe you. Uh, Madala in the next Star Wars incarnation, and and then also that she and I both had stories about meeting Mel Brooks. <laughs> yeah, that sticks out from that one. Who are we missing? Small club, the small club people who have Mel Brooks stories. You're part of it. Yeah, Henry Phillips. 
Henry Phillips, uh, the Marquis de Sade, which is what Marquis de Sade was one of those guys where I'm like, I hope this counts as a philosopher because I think it is. But he was really more known as a writer and uh, an unabashed perv. So, right. but he had a worldview, so I think it ended up working. And I like Henry. His I always thought his songs were really funny, and so it was interesting to hear him talk about how like, oh yeah, I can kind of connect with that, and a lot of my songs are about tortured people because you know I wasn't always in the greatest headspace growing up but I tried to be nice and he was one of the kids into metal and stuff and Marky just thought was pretty pretty metal yeah so, it, was a, it was a good fit yeah yeah okay, I have a uh, I have a question so we were talking about um, you know things uh, that people clarify that might be a good life lesson or a good thing to help you know you not be so hard on yourself or stuff, but that's what I was getting. Um, do you think there was any point a guess made that you go, oh, now that I know this, I'm going to be funnier? Like, specifically, that is going to be the advantage of knowing whatever they just clarified to you. No. I'm not, okay. not consciously. I would like to say yes because it would be a more fun answer, but I, yeah. can't, I can't really remember anything that, that made me feel like, oh, I okay. can be funnier now. Yeah, I think the. <laughs> I wish I hadn't something for you. That would have been a good. All right. Yeah. Um. I think the Brian Regan thing, a whole audience of Brian Regans, uh, helped me because I imagine once I if I figure out that trick where I can actually use that to my advantage, I I will be able to hopefully calm down if I'm bombing, which is sometimes a, a, an issue, and I'll just relax and I'll probably be funnier in that moment. I don't know if I'd be funnier on a career trajectory, but like I might be able to save a show because I know that. So I would say that's it for me. But I'll say this overall, the more I, I get people's perspectives on, on life and the more I kind of open up my own mind to the world. Yeah. Um, all that stuff changes my view of life. Um, and, and all that informs who I am and, and that all goes into my comedy on some level, maybe subconsciously it is making me funnier. I just couldn't pinpoint yeah. it for you. Okay. Um, so I think it. I think I've gotten to be a better comedian since doing this show, although I can't really target one thing and say that's responsible. Yeah, I think I've definitely gotten to be. Uh, I don't know about a better comic, but definitely a better writer from doing these shows every week because I have to be so conscious of like keeping things concise because I know they're going to come out of somebody else's mouth and eat up airtime if they're wordy. So I thought like, you know, I've, I've gone on interviews for like copywriting jobs and they're like, well, what have you done? I'm like, I had to write, you know, really solid radio copy a few times a week. And if it comes out bad, it's, it's noticeable. So I've had to really, you know, hone that kind of editing skill and it's really helped yeah. out that way. Oh, you're doing a great um, job. Oh, thank you. I want to bring up um, one more Daryl Lennox. Yes, Daryl Lennox, who conned an entire town, and um, I was I was I was kind of hoping at the end when he told you this whole you know this whole story of like my dad was a pimp and it made me distrust women and I was a con man but I was conning myself and I was kind of hoping that you'd like be like all right we're done and he'd be like hey all that yeah I was conning you I'm I was still insurance <laughs> my office. that would have been a I'm great... not even blind I can see that would have been a great twist. Yeah. Um, what'd you like about the Daryl Lennox one? One line. Um, 
just about how he said that he, in his mind, he was planning that he was going to pay everybody back when he was mm-hmm. famous and he was going to make it all true. And I think that is at the crux of everybody who's got a moral conscience of, of, um, but does something immoral. Yeah. Always, it's a rationalization. There's always some kind of rationalization. I don't think I've heard it talked about really, but, uh, yeah, he articulated it very well. And it's just kind of interesting how everybody, even the people, the bad people are thinking at the time, well, I'm going to make this right. Like there's still this feeling like even people who are doing wrong, knowing that they're doing wrong are still thinking, even though they probably never will make it right. There's still part of them it, that's, that's fueling they're doing wrong, but that little voice, it's like, don't worry, you'll fix this all up. It's interesting how people, unless we're talking about just like straight up sociopaths who just don't feel anything for other people, watching someone who has a pretty functional, uh, brain and maybe a faulty conscience still needs to quiet that voice to do something that they know is selfish but like so like yeah I'm gonna take this guy's money I'll get him back when I have the money and no you won't but he still has to say that there's still a part of him that's going come on man exactly. and then you have to put that before you can go any any further um and by the way on a totally unrelated note I just remembered my favorite line from the Brian Regan episode and that, okay. that was when he he when I asked him about moving to Las Vegas, and he said that his kid ran said to him, "Look how fast I am!" And then he ran from one side of the apartment to the other in a second. He's like, "We got to get this kid a yard." Yeah, <laughs> that the was clear so funny. Poverty line is our kid can bump his face turning around. That's probably bad. Yeah, that was so funny. The way he said it, yeah, uh, the visualization oh. of it was just really funny. He had my favorite just joke line the whole season where you read the quote and he goes, uh, I am Firebend, I'm a kick-ass philosopher, and I get all the hot chicks. That's a departure from the rest of this, huh? <laughs> I was on the floor and that was so funny. And then when he pretended he couldn't read was hysterical, too. Yeah, yeah. And he did it like, compl- like almost completely straight. Like he was actually reading and be like, oh, that, that doesn't seem right. Like... Oh God! Like, yeah, it was a real thrill to have him on the show. Loved it. All right, it's been a great season, Alex. It's uh, it's good, good looking back on it with you. Me too. Yeah, I'm glad that we we can know. I'm glad that we made it this far that we can go six seasons. We get to look back on that because you know a lot of podcasts go, "Hey, when are we going to do that first episode?" Eh, never. But we actually did it. Yeah, we're we're going strong. Yeah. It's not. It's it's yep. kind of incredible because there was a point where I kept thinking I was going to quit every season, and now I've kind of just accepted that I do this. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, okay, I guess <laughs> I'm not quitting anytime soon. Anyway, although, me although, but if you talk to me like next week, I might be back to like ah, I don't know. I might quit. But, <laughs> You're like that was that was for the microphone. Let's really talk about this. This yeah. is killing me. This is bad. No, I'm I'm more like committed now. I mean. I'm let I'm less like trying to run away from the work. So yeah. Um. All right. Let's do uh. Let's do some dream guests for future episodes. Who Who would you love to hear on the show? I would love to hear Trey Parker and or Matt Stone because oh, I just be great. Yeah, way late to the table. I just listened to the Book of Mormon soundtrack 
And like just the songs alone are hysterical. And I'm on big on a, I'm back on the South Park kick because of that. And I'm like, damn, I forgot how much I used to worship these guys. And every time I always kind of turn to something else, and then I get, I'm like, oh, what's going on with South Park lately? And then I can't stop watching it because it's so consistently funny. so funny and so yeah. pointed and just like really smart dumb jokes or really dumb smart jokes, you know. It's so beautiful. Um, I'd still like to get Eric Idle uh, or uh, John Cleese or both of them on the show. Um, that would be great. Mike Myers, I'd really like to get on the show. Of course. If we got Mike Myers, I would want to ask him about being an Inglorious Bastards because I love everything he's ever done, uh, at least the things that I've, I've recently seen. But like, I'm like, what was it like being a World War II general in a Tarantino movie? That's such a weird place to, to find Mike Myers in, but he nailed it. So. Yeah, he did a great job in that role. And then, yeah. and then um, Eddie Murphy, of course, would be great to get on the show. Yes. You never know, you know. It's, no, you never know. It's, pro- I never, it's probable no. we'll never get him, but you never know. Yeah. But, you know, we got Carl Reiner, and that if you told me day one that was happening, I'd be like, really? And it did. And we got Brian well, Regan. I, I was amazed. We got that Brian happened. Regan. Well, that's, uh, that's been season six wrap-up. Alex, tell the people where to find you. I am on Twitter at A Fosella, A F O S S E L L A. And if you want to email me about your thoughts about the show, it's alexander.fosella, same spelling, at gmail.com. And I'm working to get some web series stuff done and some web comic stuff done. And as always, check me out on this show and on mostly Bull Market with Danny because I'm writing this thing out to the end of the line. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm glad to have mm-hmm. you on board, man. Happy uh, that you always have me back. Well, thank you. And at Danny LaBelle on Twitter is my Twitter handle. And, of course, check out the Mostly Bull Market podcast. And that's it. The first episode of Season 7 is going to drop right away with Doug Stanhope. And we're kicking off strong. So uh, strap in, buckle up, or whatever things people say to get you excited about a new season or something. It's Put happening. yourself into a structured car seat so you don't hit your head on the windshield. <laughs> Surround yourself with padded walls. We're about to start another season of Modern Day Philosophers. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for being with us. And please uh, continue to write in to the comical at yahoo.com. We love hearing from you. And uh, so ends another season. All right. Thanks so much, Alex. Thanks, man. Talk to you later. Bye, buddy.